Okay, we are moving on in our study of the gospel to section four, the good news of healing. And I don't know about you, but sickness is never good news. Healing is. <laughs> sickness is bad news. And we're going to see that even in the scriptures. Uh, the Bible refers to the evil diseases of Egypt. But the good news that Jesus came preaching and demonstrated, it always included this component of healing. Healing for the mind, healing for the soul, healing for the body. There was a total healing that he spoke of and he demonstrated whenever he ministered. All right. Let's begin with a couple of scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll read verses 23 and 24. And if you're following in the outlines, we're now on page 15. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Not only was he preaching good news, but he brought the reality of the good news in one very real way. He healed every disease and sickness. And you find this all over the New Testament. Not some, not once in a while, not a few, but every all is the word you often find in connection with his healing of sickness. Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17, and this is an important verse we're going to come back to a little later in our study. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed, now if you were with us last time, we looked at the good news of deliverance, and we explained how these two overlap. Jesus cast out demons, he set people free from their bondages and oppressions, and he healed them. And we saw last time that certain sicknesses were actually caused by demonic spirits, and the people needed deliverance in order to get healed. That's not to say that every sickness is a demon, but sometimes healing came through deliverance. And certainly any kind of healing is also a, a form of deliverance. So these definitely overlap, and you'll notice in both of these scriptures, he was healing the sick and casting out demons. They always go hand in hand. Now, Matthew 8:16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. That is such a powerful scripture, we're going to come back to it. But we're already seeing that Jesus wasn't just randomly healing people because he was in a good mood. This was a part of the prophetic utterance of Isaiah and included in the atonement 
we, we looked at Isaiah 53 when we studied the atonement, but included in that atonement is also healing for the physical body, because he's quoting from Isaiah 53 there. More about that later. Let's talk about sickness for a little while. Where did it come from? What causes it? And what does the Bible have to say about sickness? First of all, in the beginning, there wasn't any. You've got to think about that. <laughs> it wasn't there in the beginning. In Eden, there was a perfect paradise. No pain, no sickness, no curse, no death. So it wasn't a part of God's original plan for man. And a closer examination of Scripture reveals it's the result of Adam's fall. Sin, disobedience, and rebellion opened the door for all kinds of things. We studied a lot of that when we looked at the atonement. But sickness is yet another one of the consequences of man's rebellion, fall, disobedience. Sin brought a curse. There wasn't any curse before. And, by the way, you have in your notes here, the word Eden, Garden of Eden, the very word means pleasure and delight. I mean, that tells you a lot about what God intended for man when he made him in his own image and likeness. It was a glorious environment that he placed him in. Everything about that garden was to bring pleasure, joy, and delight to man. There were no thorns, there was no sweat, there was no pain. All that came later as a result of the fall. In the eternal kingdom, there will again be no pain, no death, no curse, and I think we can safely add to that list sickness. There will be no more sickness. And maybe you've heard me teach this before, but the first two chapters of the Bible sound a lot like the last two chapters. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and then you read Revelation 21 and 22, you find a lot of similarities. Tree of life, river of life, no pain, no curse, no darkness, and no sickness. The problem is all the chapters in between. <laughs> and the real trouble begins in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve's disobedience. And from Genesis 3 all the way through, it's about the process of God redeeming and restoring man and eventually restoring that perfect Eden, that perfect paradise. There will again be a paradise where there's no more sickness, no more sin, no more dying, no more crying, no more pain. But we got to get there. We're not there yet. Interesting, in Revelation 22, the tree of life that is described there, we don't read about this in Genesis 2, but in the eternal kingdom we find that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So everything about the kingdom of God is healing, health, joy, a release from all the curse and all the bondage that sin brought. The very first mention of sickness in the Bible we find in Genesis chapter 12. And it says, The Lord inflicted serious diseases, King James reads plagues, on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Interesting. The Lord inflicted serious diseases. Again, it's never a good thing. It's always related to either judgment or the result of man's disobedience, 
or failure to honor and worship God. Now, let me clarify right off the bat. It doesn't mean every time we think a bad thought, we're going to fall sick. It doesn't mean every time we disobey God, some cancer or terrible disease is going to fall on us. But sin opened the door both for Satan, for sin, for sickness, and for death to come rushing. It wasn't there before. In Deuteronomy 28, if you're familiar with that chapter, you'll know that there's a long, long list of the blessings and curses. Blessings that would come for the children of Israel if they walked in obedience, and curses that would come if they disobeyed God. Actually, let me correct the statement I just made. There's a short list of blessings and a long list of curses. (laughs) That tells you a little bit about what God expected and knew was going to happen even before he spoke these things. I'm going to read a rather lengthy section here, and I think this will give you a, a sense of the fact that sickness and disease is not good. It's bad news. It's bad. Beginning in Deuteronomy 28.15. However, the, the, the blessings ended in the previous verse. Now the whole list of curses. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Verse 21. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. Verse 27, The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind man in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Verse 34, the sights you see will drive you mad. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. And if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants harsh and prolonged disasters, and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. Notice, these were the diseases of Egypt, not the diseases of Israel. This wasn't meant for God's people. But it will come, he says, if you persist in disobedience. All the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, note that, they weren't welcoming these diseases, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. You who were as numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, 
so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. How do you feel after hearing that? Oh, God, I'm scared. It was meant to put the fear of God into them. But you know what they did? They kept on rebelling. They kept on worshiping their false gods and their idols and disobeying God. But, I mean, there's an ominous tone to these words. Man, you get you get the feeling of, wow, this is a fearful God. And this is exactly what the New Testament says. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He's a consuming fire. A lot of people think, oh, well, the God of the New Testament isn't like this. Oh, well, did, did God get saved? My Bible says he's the Lord. He changes not. So this is our God. It's just that we are under a new covenant now. And as we're going to study a little further down, thank God Jesus took our sins and all of these curses of the law in his body. Think about that. All these festering plagues and diseases and uh, tumors and all this stuff that's mentioned. He took it all in his body when he died on the cross. Yes, absolutely. But the, it, it's like Paul says in Romans 11, Behold the goodness and the severity of the Lord. God is good, but this is a severe God we're reading about here. And the better you understand this, like we taught earlier on in this whole study, the better you will appreciate the goodness. When you understand, this is what I deserve, this is what my sins have earned me, you'll better understand the atonement when we find out what Jesus actually accomplished on the, cro on the cross. The cause of sickness is often attributed to Satan in the Scripture. And the classic story that everyone is very familiar with is Job. When we read the book of Job, we have a huge advantage that Job did not have. He didn't know about Job chapter 1. He didn't know about this conversation that was going on in heaven between God and the devil. In heaven. Not in hell. In heaven. Satan is prancing around in heaven, challenging God, accusing Job before the throne of God, and God finally grants certain leeway. He gives certain permissions to Satan. Okay, you can do this, but you can't go any further. And all the afflictions and all of the tragedy that befell Job, who was behind it? Job thought it was God's fault. Who was really doing it all? Devil. The devil was behind all of the tragedy, all of these terrible afflictions, boils, sores, ulcers. I, I don't even know what kind of diseases Job had. Man, he was a mess. And it all came from the devil. Now, we saw this verse last week in Acts 10, verse 38, how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Healing people who were sick because of the devil's activity in their lives. Isn't it interesting how fallen humanity is always quick to blame God for all the bad stuff? You know, volcanoes, storms, hurricanes. Nobody has any problem admitting those are acts of God, right? 
Even atheists, suddenly they become believers when something bad happens. It's an act of God, okay? But, I mean, when it comes to the good part, well, we don't believe in God. You know, we're not going to give God any credit for anything good. So people are very quick to blame everything bad on God. And because Job had a limited view, he just assumed that all this bad stuff that was happening to him was coming from God, when in fact, God was permitting the devil to do certain things in Job's family and in his life to ultimately bring about God's purposes and plans in Job's life and in his whole family. Now, we do find healing in the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament concept. Even in the Old Testament, there are numerous scriptures and examples of people who got healed by God. Even though, as we just read in Deuteronomy 28, people richly deserved every disease in the book because of their sin and their disobedience. But because of God's mercy, because of his goodness, he often healed people in the Old Testament. Now, the first instance of sickness we saw was in Genesis 12. The first instance of healing is also in Genesis chapter 20, and it's found in verses 17 and 18. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Now, I've given you the Hebrew word there, which you may recognize. It's the word Rapha. Later on, God reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And the word Rapha literally means to mend. The the best uh, example of this would be if you got a cut and you got it stitched up. He mends, he, he stitches things back together. That's what the word really means. And by implication, it also means to cure, to heal. It can even be translated physician, to repair or to make whole. So Abraham prays to God and God heals Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Wow. God closed the womb, and then in response to Abraham's prayer, he had mercy on these heathen, and then opened their wombs again. Healing was part of God's covenant with the nation of Israel. Under the old covenant, healing was a part of God's covenant with Israel. And here's the scripture where God reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, Exodus 15, verse 26. He tells the children of Israel, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eye, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. And also in Exodus, chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. And I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. This is the Old Covenant. Deuteronomy 7, verse 15. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. Man, these people were blessed. It was a great thing to be an Israelite. These were promises that God gave them. All you have to do is walk with me, obey me, 
Keep my statutes, and I will keep you free from disease. Man, look at the amount of money we're spending now on health care, on drugs, prescriptions, doctor's visits. People will spend their whole life savings to find a cure for a disease. God says it's free. I'll keep you free from every disease. All you have to do is walk with me and let me be your God. This is the old covenant. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent forth his word and healed them. I like Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives, who forgives some of your sins? All of your sins and a cough or a cold and heals all your diseases. But I mean, there is that special list of incurables, right? That, that God can't do anything about. Incurable is a man word. It's not a God word. We are, Pastor Quasi and I were talking about this yesterday as we were leaving the hospital. By the way, we prayed for Alfonso's daughter, Jackie, and she's been released tonight from the hospital. We were talking about, you know, how God is bringing us more and more to a place where we dare not place any limits on God. We've seen so many miracles this year. We have literally witnessed the dead raised back to life. And yet, we still like to put God in a little box and say, oh, this one's incurable. Doctor says, you know, you're going to die. Doctor says X, Y, or Z. Well, who made the doctor? God. I thought God was the one that had the final say in these things. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Again, these people, all they had was the blood of bulls and goats. They had an old covenant. It was an incomplete, imperfect covenant. And even under that old covenant, this was God's promise to them, health and healing. Here's an interesting scripture in Psalm 105, verse 37. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, these were slaves. They had been slaves for 400 years. You would think they would be in ill health. Certainly they were ill-treated, overworked. They probably didn't have very good hygiene or nutrition or anything. And yet the Bible says there was not one feeble among them when they came out of Egypt. NIV says not one of them faltered. Wow, they were all strong. They were all healthy when they came out. And that was just the blood of a lamb that they had applied to their door. Psalm 91, I think everybody knows very well. Throughout that whole psalm, God promises to save those who trust in him from all pestilence, from all plague, from all harm, from all disaster. The Israelites who were under this old covenant, were promised health and healing. And yet, they did not have what you and I have. They did not have the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. They did not have a perfect high priest who is Jesus Christ. They did not have the promises and the covenant that we now have. And yet, so often, we read about this in the Old Testament and say, well, lucky them. We're all sick all the time now. Oh, well, I guess that's just the way it's supposed to be. I've given you a whole bunch of references here. We're not going to look them up, but many, many cases, healings in the Old Testament. But now, let's get back to the New Covenant, and let's come back to this scripture now that we began with in Matthew 8, because it is such a powerful revelation. Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17 again. 
When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Just let that sink in. Many things that Jesus did, we are told he did them to fulfill prophecy. And especially in the Gospel of Matthew, you find this repeated often. Jesus went to such and such a place. He said such and such. He did such and such so that the word of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. It it, it brings a certain deliberateness in every action of Christ. It was all to fulfill the word of God. So he's healing all the sick to fulfill something to fulfill what had been spoken 800 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. Now, Matthew is quoting from Isaiah 53. Let's read these verses in their entirety. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Hmm. So Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not just to pay for my sins. It literally says, he carried my diseases. He, He actually somehow, I don't understand how this whole thing works. I just believe the word of God. That somehow, just as they laid their sins upon an animal in the Old Testament before they slit its throat and sacrificed that animal in place of themselves. Somehow God placed all the sins and all the sicknesses of humanity on his son. No wonder when Jesus was finished with his offering on the cross, the Bible says he was so disfigured he did not look like a human being. Imagine every cancer, tuberculosis, kidney disease, every kind of tumor and and plague and boil, everything came upon his body at once. All the sin and all the sickness, he carried our diseases, it says. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a simple guy. I, I like to sort of analyze things from different angles. So if he carried all my diseases, why would I want to carry them? Do I want to carry my sins around? Not at all. And yet a lot of Christians sort of make this distinction. Well, yes, I'll let Jesus take all my sins, but I still have to carry my sickness. Not what I read here. He carried our diseases. And again, let's go back to Matthew. He was healing all the sick to fulfill that word. He was doing it to prove Isaiah was right. That what I'm actually going to accomplish on the cross is take all of your sins and all of your diseases. Now, remember the whole list of curses we read in Deuteronomy 28? Maybe you'll get a little better appreciation for what Jesus did when we look at this next verse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What you read there in Deuteronomy 28, that's the curse of the law. Those are all the curses that come as a result of disobedience, breaking the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy 
and study where that verse is quoted from, to die by crucifixion was the most horrible way to die because the scripture says anyone who was dying that way was accursed by God. That's why Paul quotes that verse here because he's tying it in to this whole revelation of the curses coming upon Christ. Who cursed him? His father. Father God was cursing his son by heaping all the curses of the law upon him when he died in our place. So when you go back on your own and reread that horrible list of stuff in Deuteronomy 28, you can put a little check mark next to each one of them. Jesus took that. Jesus took that. Jesus took that. Jesus took that. He took all of the curse of the law by becoming a curse. It was a cursed thing to die by crucifixion. And it was no accident that Jesus died that way. He had to die on a cross to fulfill this part of the prophetic utterances that he was going to take the curse, the sin, and the sickness when he died. Now, when Jesus healed the sick, not only did it validate Isaiah's prophecy, it proved that he also had authority to forgive sins. And he actually states that in this next portion of scripture found in Matthew 9, starting with verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, wait a minute. That's not why he came. (coughs) He didn't come looking for forgiveness. What was he looking for? Healing. But Jesus is teaching something very important here. Let's get first things first. There's no point in a sick person getting healed if they're going to go back to sin. So he says, cheer up, man. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, you know, he's always got critics around. I love it. There's always critics in the crowd. Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. Why is he blaspheming? Because he's claiming that he has the power to forgive this man's sins. Don't don't miss this. This is powerful what's going on here. You and I can't go around and forgive people their sins. Only God can do that. And so they know that Jesus is right here claiming to be God. This fellow's blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. I'm not sure which is easier. Apparently, they're both the same to Jesus. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. I've given you a whole long list here of scripture after scripture after scripture. We didn't just pull one or two out of context. This is everywhere in the Gospels. Jesus healed everyone, everyone. We already read Matthew 4. Let me read it in another translation here. This is the New American Standard, Matthew 4, 23 and 24. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease 
and every kind of sickness among the people. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of sickness. There are a lot of different kinds of diseases. That's quite a sweeping statement to say he healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Matthew 8.16 again, he healed all the sick. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. My friends, that is good news. Healing is good news. He preached the good news, but he also brought the reality of good news into their lives. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick. Matthew 14. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. Luke 4 verse 40. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed most of them. He healed them. Luke 9, 11. The crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who deserved healing. A lot of times we think, well, maybe I don't deserve it. You know what? You don't. You deserve that whole list of curses and then some. That's what I deserve. This isn't about what we deserve. This is about the good news of grace, the good news of mercy. He, I love this verse. He healed all those who needed healing. Lord, I'm a candidate. I need it. That's all. Healed all who needed healing. Luke 6, verse 17 to 19. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Wow. But, you know, Jesus has changed now, right? We're no longer living in the days of the apostles, and God's power has diminished. He's changed his mind. He's watered down his promises. His covenant is sort of only half real now. And, you know, sad, but that's what a lot of Christians end up thinking and believing. And I know, even as we're reading all these, I'm sure you're thinking, yeah, but what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? I don't care about so-and-so. I want to stay focused on the Word of God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we need to focus on and believe. And I believe, like I've shared with this church for some time now, we are in a season of miracles. We've seen three big ones just in the last seven days. I'm talking about notable miracles. Quasi's sister-in-law, he announced to the church a week ago she was as good as dead. They just had her on life support waiting for the sun to get up to New York from Guyana so they could pull a plug. 
I, I heard him say that a week ago Sunday here in the church. My sister-in-law's dead. They're just waiting to pull the plug. That was Sunday. Monday, the very next day, Quasi and Desiree get a phone call from the dead lady. She ain't dead no more. They went up to visit her this past week. They were thinking they were going to have to go for a funeral. They had already made funeral arrangements. I mean, they were ready to bury this woman. She called them on the phone the next day. I mean, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Quasi and I went to pray for a madman a little over a week ago. I'm talking about out of his mind. He had even taken on some strange personality with a whole different accent. Weird, talking complete gibberish. We prayed for him. He's been in church the last two Sundays straight. He's completely well. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I I don't know the full story yet, but we went to pray for Alfonso's daughter last night in the hospital, and she wasn't looking real good, but we prayed, anointed her with oil, and left there, and found out tonight that the reason Alfonso and Fonchi aren't here, they had to go to the hospital to pick her up, to bring her home. Hallelujah. I like it when God heals people. I don't like it when I hear people are going